What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. Today, it's an international special as we're going to discuss England's impressive win over Spain and then take a look at both the national teams for the U.S., the men's and the women's as they are in action too here. How do we feel about this international break? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Um... I know that UEFA's attempt to kind of drum up more interest and therefore also primarily more money by establishing this quote-unquote Nations League was supposed to make us care a lot more about these friendlies, but I am not sold. (laughs) No, I would rather just have, you know, Euro qualifications, really. I don't know. I mean, I still... I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack just a little on that okay. because I I'm still I'm honest I'm, I was not excited about these games but I'm willing to let the jury still be out because as it goes down the stretch maybe my interest will be peaked a little more but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, on the one hand, I you know it's nice to see the better teams getting pitted against each other in these semi-friendlies. Um, instead of having England play, you know, Andorra or something. Yeah. And they are a little more competitive than if it was just a straight-up friendly, but not by time. No. No. So for England, though, they took a 3-2 win on the road against Spain. Uh, Very impressive result, especially if you look at that first half for England as they stormed out to a 3-0 lead. A couple of goals by Raheem Sterling and one by Marcus Rashford. Spain, you know, they made the numbers look a little bit better there towards the end. Alsacer and Ramos got goals for Spain. So, um, but it was a quite the performance by England, especially in that first half. And Spain really looking a little bit shaky here. David De Gea not having the best of times in the Spanish national team these days. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, to be quite honest. But, uh, I mean, again, it's the the qualifier of, well, it's only a semi-competitive game, and yet at the same time, of course, he's seen a lot of criticism for his performances at the World Cup, which is as far from uh, an exhibition match as you can get. Oh, very true. Yeah, I think it was... I forgot the exact one, but I think it was, it's been like four times that he's, he's led in three goals and not that long of amount of time. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit worrying if you're a Spain fan. I mean, he seems to do well for United. Although there he's hung out to dry a lot of times too, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is... that. The thing is that it's a little different because there's so much competition for... You know, the goalkeeping position is obviously singular, and I'm thinking of parallels between him and Leo Messi, right, coming under criticism for being uh, arguably the best in the world and failing to live up to that potential on the national stage kind of habitually. And it's interesting, though, because while you can build a team around Messi in different ways as an outfield player— it's obviously it's a binary proposition. You're the starting goalkeeper or you're not. Mm-hmm. So I, that said, I still think that his club performances, even if he was to continue that 
streak of allowing multiple goals. I think his inarguable quality based on his club performances mean you've got to stick with him with the number one shirt for at least through the Euros, right? At least through the next major tournament. And if at that point he's continuing to concede a bunch of goals, then then you can maybe have that conversation. But I think, if from my perspective, you know, uh, he is the established number one, and he needs at least another full cycle through the Euros to really lose a grip on that. Barring, of course, you know, a major in- injury and then being kept out of the squad by. You know, uh, like just lack of consistency in another man's performances, but maybe I, I, I want to disagree with you a little bit there because I do feel like Kippa Aresala Balabala. I'm not going to even try his last name. <laughs> Kippa is showing a lot of promise. He's gotten off to a good start at Chelsea. If he keeps that up, he should get a, a look in the national side. And if he does well there, well, that could just be what Spain needs. And then it's De Gea's time to sort of be on the hunt again for that first, first starting spot. So, Which, and you know, maybe, maybe that's what he's, he needs, but it's so tricky. I think that the goalkeeping position, I was speaking about this, you know, earlier, the differences, but it's more difficult insofar as the confidence level is so important, right? Like, Karius is an example of how, you know, he's, he's never going to be the same from just, like, that kind of confidence loss. And I shouldn't say never going to be the same. But, you know, it's hard to ah, come back say from something like that. never going to be the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, <laughs> it's he's, possible. He's doomed. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think that... I see some parallels, actually, between this and the Arsenal goalkeeping scenario in which I don't think that Czech was going to be dropped but for injury. But, I mean, as I said, right, you know, I, I think that Kepa could step in if De Gea is injured. But, what I'm, my, but my point is that based on his performances, there hasn't been any carious level of calamity such that he should lose that starting spot ahead of Kepa except for injury. But that I could see him losing that job if he goes out from injury, Kepa steps up and is playing amazing and, you know, you can't, you know, you can't pull a goalkeeper in phenomenal form at the highest level, no matter, you know, you can't just pull seniority rank for that. No. So. No, and on the other end, in England, it feels like Jordan Pickford really has, you know, he had a great World Cup. He's by far the best keeper right now for England. And um, it was a brave step for Southgate because I think the easy way out, like we've spoken about before, would have just been well, Joe Hart. You know, he's been solid. He hasn't been great, but he's been mm-hmm. solid. But taking a risk there, going with some other goalkeepers, Pickford, you know, making a move to Everton to surely helped, although they didn't have the best of seasons last year. He still played well. And well, yeah, I think that he's going to be the number one here for a long, long time if he keeps this up. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting. This is turning into not so much an international special as a goalkeeper special. (laughs) But uh, in addition, it's interesting to think about teams in bad form and goalies in excellent form, because those are, you know, certainly uh, 
uh, like not merely Jordan Pickford last season at Everton, but an even more dramatic example, I think, would be Lucas Fabianski, who had actually a really great year in goal in terms of his save percentages, but Swansea were abject, and so they still got relegated despite his best efforts. But when when your defense is dodgy, and another example being Arsenal, right? Like we've gotten to see a lot out of Burned Leno that has been really encouraging that we wouldn't really know were Arsenal's defense not such a sieve that it is. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And goalies, they're a, a different breed in all sports. Peculiar people, but we love them anyways. Uh, looking at the rest of the lineup here, though, Raheem Sterling did a great job as sort of that attacking midfielder central role where he can sort of roam around, play with two forwards in Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford. Rashford, again, showing that he's at his best playing next to another striker and that he should not be playing out wide. Yeah. Please, 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 Mr. Mourinho, play (laughs) Rashford and Lukaku as your strikers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another funny Arsenal parallel in the, although granted, Emery is not nearly in as much hot water as Mourinho, but uh, the cries for Obama Yang to be played partnered with Lacazette rather than out wide in a, you know, I mean, I was saying this last year, like four four two is uh, we've got a lot of potential with that and maybe we'll see it. Maybe you'll see it too. I'm not as convinced that Mourinho's is willing to be malleable as Emery is, but you know, we'll see. No, that's very, very true. So um, yeah, the, uh, Nations League continues. Right now, for England in their group, Spain sits at the top six points, England second with four points, and then Croatia third with one point. Got to love that three-team group. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do kind of enjoy about the Nations League is the way that the teams are tiered almost as though it was you know, seeding for a tournament. Well, it's kind of a reverse of seeding of a tournament. It's more like tiered, like the different divisions of football in England, right? In terms of the Premier League Championship, League One, Two, etc. Um, oh, absolutely, yes. That's a good. That's that's what I've been saying. Like, it's better for these top seeded teams to play each other. That gives that gives the fans something better to watch, and it gives mm-hmm. the players more, you know, higher level of competition. We do see less experimentations because you don't have as many subs as you have in a regular uh, friendly. But at the same time, too, some teams like Iceland, who's done well a couple of tournaments here, now they're being pitted against Belgium and Switzerland. They have zero points after three games and a negative 10 goal differential. Yeah, and it's, I mean, but at the same time, you want to be... In order to go from a Cinderella to a big boy, which is a kind of strange metaphor, but we're going to go with it, that you have to continue to perform on that highest level, right? I mean, and I think that you can't really expect you can't really expect them to put that kind of run together year after year in the same way that you can't really expect the Foxes of Leicester City to be challenging for the Premier League title year in and year out just because they did pull off a miraculous upset. 
No, that's the thing with these smaller nations, like in Iceland, like my own Sweden. It's like every once in a while you can pop up, you can have a good tournament or two. If you're super lucky, you'll get, you know, some some silverware to show for it or bronzeware. Um, but yeah, to expect them to be a legit top side now, that's a big, big ask. Um but it also, I mean, these lower groups, if you look at the C and D side of the groups, now you got Finland. I mean, Finland, now they topped the group 12 points. They were ahead of Greece, Hungary, and Estonia. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's uh, in terms of, sp- like, sports history, football cycles, it's both a long time and also not that long ago that... Greece were champions of Europe. Oh my God! Don't remind me. That was the worst <laughs> tournament ever. The uh, I still think Euro France was pretty bad too. Yeah, but poor. I mean, Portugal got a lot of flack for the way they played, deservedly so. They still have Greece plus Ronaldo. They're Greece plus Ronaldo. Yeah, but they also have a couple of other players who can yeah. do something with the ball. Greece were just so boring <laughs> to watch. Uh, but at the same time, like we said, there's a couple of ways here now for the lower-seeded teams to get a place in the Euros. If you look from leagues C and D and Finland, that might be the route for them. Is Israel, they got six points. They're on top of their group ahead of Scotland and Albania. It's a good way for them to maybe make their first tournament. So we'll, we'll see what happens here as we go along with this new little weird tournament. Um Let's move over to the United States. Uh, the men's national team, well, we should say that they play Peru tonight, uh, yeah. Tuesday, as we record this. But we've got to discuss that Columbia game. Because yes. I think that that's, uh, it's, and it's interesting because I've heard it's, you know, it's kind of, you have two people look at the same thing and see it totally differently, right? Because I've heard people complain about, how abject the U.S. were in defense. And, and, yeah, it's true that they conceded four goals. But they also held their own for much of this match and even took the lead. Granted, they only had the lead for about three and a half minutes. But regardless, that you know, to go into the half against Colombia, even playing at home, like, nonetheless... Only down one nil, and only down one nil because of a James goal is not that bad, you know. And I think that, yeah, of course, you would have liked to them see to have them defend better. It's frustrating to be two one up and then end up ultimate four two losers. But at the same time, the really the quality told, you know. And I think that regardless of the fact that you look at it and say you squandered a a lead at home, you also, you have to be realistic about where the United States men's national team is. And they're playing one of the best teams in South America. And they, they looked not terrible. (laughs) And maybe it's telling that I'm using that phrase, but it it could have been. Yeah, it's also two teams that are in two very different phases right now. Colombia have a pretty set team. Their key players are either, you know, in their prime or just behind their prime. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the score sheet. Yeah, you had Hamas score. You had Carlos Baca score. You had Falcao score. 
scoring. So it's those are all plays that are well established. They're in their prime or right after their prime. For the U.S., this is still a work in progress. You're trying to get some of the young guys in, build something, because this team is supposed to be, you know, hopefully at their best in three and a half years. Yeah. Or um, oh, make it three years and three months. Or whatever it is, since we're going to be playing in a damn winter. God, I can't even believe that. I don't even... I, uh Let's let, let's focus. Let's focus on the present. I don't want to have to think about the World Cup being played in a desert and stadium that were constructed by slave labor. I mean, my thing that I like that I saw when I, as we all know, I like to play my football manager games. Yeah, booted up a new season of football manager, and I uh, was playing. I was playing, and then you get the news feed and everything, and it was like, World Cup 2022 moved to Australia. I was like. That's brilliant. Let's do yeah. let's do that in real life, please. Uh, that would be much better, and we could even keep the messed up, ridiculous schedule that they've put together because it will be the summer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Make it happen, FIFA. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, but I mean, positives from the U.S. point of view, like you said, they did. Fight well in this game. They did take the lead. Hamas gave Colombia the lead in the 36 minute after halftime. Acosta and Wood scored. So, in the span of three minutes, um, when they had held the lead for a little bit before Baca tied things up, and then Falcao and uh, Angel Borja scored for Colombia to secure the win for the visitors. But if yeah. you're going to pick out a couple of players here in the U.S. side that you think did held their own or did particularly well? Well, I think that you have to um, you have to pick out the goal scorers, obviously. Um, Costa and Wood played very well. But in addition to that, it's it's the young players. I mean, I think Kenny Saif is a useful squad player, and I think that he will continue to be that. I'm not convinced that he's the kind of player that you're building teams around, but he gives us experience and depth, which is exactly what we need, as you said, building this new team together. I think it was interesting also seeing Julian Green playing kind of more centrally. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't want to see continue seeing Bradley, but he he didn't he didn't have a horrible game. I mean, we, this is a game in which we again it's a a, a matter of perspective, right? Because you could say that we were dominated out of possession. I think we had they had about 62% of the share of possession, maybe 63. Um, and we only managed five shots, only two on target. And you flip that on its head and say, hey, we took our chances. We only had two shots on target, and there were both goals on the scoreline. Yep. So I think that... I, I still think that the same names that we've been saying, you know, Timmy Way, Weston McKinney, who was unfortunately out injured, Christian Pulisic, who was also unfortunately out injured, Bobby Wood. Um, I, I really I think the one player who did himself the most help in being included in the squad is Colin Acosta um, in terms of moving forward out of this match. Yeah. Yep. No, I do, li- I do like Bobby Wood, and he puts in a shift every game. He's not the perfect guy to have as your lone striker, but 
you cannot complain about his work, right? That's for sure. Well, yeah, and the goal that he scored is emblematic of that in that it's, you know, it's what? It's a good through ball that he uses his quickness, alertness to run on and get on the end of and have a tidy first-time finish. Yep. Very, very so, true. I mean, I think that it'll be... It'll be interesting to see how they match up against Peru tonight. Hi, Rooney. Okay, so now that we've got the dogs under control, uh, let's <laughs> uh, look ahead a little bit against the, the Peru game there for the U.S. Men's National Team. Peru, not the same caliber of opponent as Colombia, but at the no. same time, it's, it's not a gimme. No, by no means. I mean, in a strong argument for they have the best team together that they've had in at least a generation, you know, given that they ended a 36-year World Cup drought earlier yep. this year in Russia. Um, and, I and you know, they, they had really tough opposition in that tournament, right? You know, getting drawn against, obviously, eventual champions in France, Um but also uh, Denmark and, you know, the, getting a nice win against uh, Australia to kind of round out their group. Uh, but I think that looking at not that World Cup that we all wish the Americans had been able to compete in but did not, but rather the history between these two clubs themselves, uh, I think that that speaks to where the U.S. are in their you know, rebuilding phase, as you were talking about earlier, right? So the last time that these two teams met was 2015 um, at RFK in D.C., and Josie scored a brace for a 2-1 victory. Uh, but the the two squads that are going to play one another tonight, there are twice as many Peruvian players who were in that squad in 2015 as there are U.S. players, which is the four for the U.S. being John Brooks, Brad Guzan, Bobby Wood, and DeAndre Yedlin, whereas eight Peruvians returned from that previous meeting three years ago. So, yes, while they're definitely not, you can't argue that they're as talented a team as Colombia, they are nonetheless uh, a cohesive squad that did something that it's been, you know, the better part of 40 years since Peru did last and qualify for the World Cup. This is not a gimme game. I think the real danger is actually falling into specifically that trap of, uh, okay, well, it was kind of frustrating to let in four goals against, you know, uh, against a really strong team, but Peru won't be quite as difficult, so this will be fine, and then be kind of switched off, and then suddenly have shipped three goals against the Peruvians, and and that's that's my concern, right? But um, but I still think on paper. Even without Pulisic, McKinney, I still think that this U.S. team is rightful favorites against Peru. Yeah, we'll see how things shake out there, and we'll talk about that later in the week. Uh, moving over to the CONCACAF Women's Championship. We got uh, two games tomorrow, Wednesday. The third place final between Panama and Jamaica. And then we got the final between Canada and the U.S., uh, pretty easy goings there for both U.S. and Canada in the group stage. They each had three wins. USA ended up with a plus 18 goal differential. Canada had plus 16. Cuba ended with zero points and 29 negative goal differential. That is just yeah. amazing. 
Yeah, that was not not a great great outing yeah. for them. Uh, they had I a mean, this twelve nothing loss against Canada. Yeah, that was that's uh, FIFA score. Yep, um, but FIFA look, on the easy score. Yeah, but looking at the semi semis, um, I mean, you know, I think the, U, the U.S. took a six nothing win over Jamaica. Canada beat Panama seven nothing. And this is. I mean, this is the final that everyone expected to see, right? I mean, these are the two powerhouse teams in this group. But I think the kind of blowout score lines that the U.S. has been accustomed to, um, you know, Canada showing that they have as much firepower against, again, you know, the lesser opposition. But nonetheless, I mean, this is uh, this is going to be a well-contested game. And, you know, I think back to, you know, again, speaking of, national team history books um the I, I guess it would have been the 2009 olympics is that right um no, maybe it's 2010 uh but the olympic final between the u.s and the canadian women of course the olympics for the women's national team being different from the men's in that the olympic squads are the full squads not limited to a couple kind of senior pseudo designated players and otherwise youth teams yeah under 23 um, plus three overaged yeah and that that game ended four to three and granted a lot of the players then again have moved on and this is, these are very different teams but there are some familiar names from back then right alex morgan was with the team then she was on the score sheet christine sinclair you know the legendary canadian striker was also part of that match and will feature tomorrow night um, this is going to be really interesting because the United States have managed to keep a perfect defensive record so far this tournament. God, would the, that ever were the case for the men? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, but, we take a, if we take a look at the FIFA rankings for the women, U.S., they're ranked number one in the world, followed by Germany, England, France, and then in fifth, it's Canada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think that... That showed because although the U.S. stayed perfect without conceding a single goal and, you know, five star plus performances in every match, Canada only conceded once against Costa Rica and otherwise all of their sheets were clean. So I think that this is this is a really good game. I will personally be Sorry, coworkers, if you're listening, praying that our restaurant is dead tomorrow night so I can leave early to watch this game. So yeah, don't uh, don't come out to eat tomorrow night in Charlottesville because I want to watch the U.S. women. Or you put the game on at the restaurant. Yeah, we don't have TVs though. Then it's not a real restaurant. No. What? I'm, what kid- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe you can make the argument that then it's not a real bar, but I actually mostly prefer bars without televisions. So you actually look at the people around you. Although most people these days, especially if they go alone, just look at their phones. Yeah. So I mean, it's sort of a yeah. If you want more of a throwback bar, yes, I would definitely say no TV. Or if it's like a speakeasy or something, definitely no TVs. But I feel like there's a lot of places that are just trying to get into that casual bar type segment and then you have to have a tv and it has to show sports yeah yeah well welcome to america yep that is very true but i I think that i'm just the last thing that i'll say about the 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 women's game um this is dangerous opposition in canada and i think however that the u.s have been playing so well that 
I expect them to win this game. If they can manage to keep a clean sheet, I think that's probable. And I'm saying 2-0 to the U.S., maybe 2-1 if uh, they slip up a little bit against by far the strongest side that they've faced in this tournament. Okay, with that, we'll say goodbye as always. You can follow us on Twitter, one Yank, one Swede. I'm Seb Noren. Elliot is Keats was better. And we'll talk to you again later in the week. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.